Part 1. Began. Chapter 1. 12.40 p.m. Sunday, the 9th of September. Bianca Benini had only 36 hours left to live. She didn't know it. No one knew it at this point in time. Her death hadn't been planned. Yet. She stood on Platform 1 at Central Station, her tall, thin figure stylishly dressed in a black Armani trouser suit, a dark plum cashmere sweater worn underneath the coat, her trademark gold jewellery hanging from her ears and around her throat. The initials BB were stamped in gold on her black leather handbag. Everything about her was sharp. Sharp bones, sharp clothes, sharp face, sharp hair, long and straight, its uniform black broken by a wide swathe of ash blonde on either side of her face, but most of all, sharp eyes, feeding her sharp intelligence with observations that other people missed, which were all grist to the mill of a successful gossip columnist. B.B.'s tips sold many, many newspapers, not to mention the National Weekly magazine, where her pages were the most read by women all over the country. Though the Sunday afternoon radio program, B.B.'s chat room, was her favourite medium, and today's pre-recorded session would certainly set tongues wagging. A satisfied little smirk curled her thin, dark, plum lips. Any minute now, the elite Palmer party would arrive on Platform 1 and see her. See her waiting for them. Their two-day trip on the GAN train from Sydney to Alice Springs would instantly take on a new dimension. Each one of them would start wondering if he or she was the target of an expose that would rip their arrogant and privileged world apart. They might hope their scandalous secrets were safe, but they couldn't be sure, not when they saw her waiting for them. It was going to be a very interesting trip. Bianca Bernini's smug anticipation did not envisage her own murder. She saw no risk at all, not to herself. It did not occur to her that the gold chain around her neck could be a murder weapon, that she could be silenced with a swift and deadly finality that gave her no manipulative leeway, that her lifeless body could be thrown off the train in a dark wasteland of desert, and she wouldn't even be missed until her luggage wasn't claimed in Alice Springs. By then, she would have been dead for ten hours. Chapter 2 12.41 p.m. Having unloaded their luggage from the taxi that had brought them from their home at Point Piper to Central Station, Elliot Fraser and Gavin Alder strolled towards Platform 1, carrying their overnight bags and rolling their Samsonite suitcases along behind them. They looked an odd couple, Elliot's tall, lean body fastidiously dressed in a navy blazer, grey trousers, pinstriped shirt, red and grey striped tie. Gavin's muscle-toned physique poured into tight black jeans, black skivvy, black leather jacket. Anyone would have set their ages at twenty years apart, but they weren't. Illness had thinned Elliot's iron-gray hair and carved gaunt lines down his fine patrician face. He was only forty-five, but looked considerably older. Gavin's need to keep himself sexually attractive contributed largely to his more youthful, trim, taut, and terrific image. Age was the enemy in the gay world he moved in, and he didn't have the pull of Elliot's wealth at his personal disposal. Not yet. 
He was 38, and Elliot Fraser was his main chance of securing the kind of million-dollar future he fancied for himself. Shall we go for coffee? Gavin asked, sniffing the seductive aroma wafting down the great hall of Central Station from a coffee shop at the other end. They were early. They were always early when Estelle Palmer and Lavidia Renshaw required Elliot's company. The grand dame of Sydney's society were not to be denied any punctilious courtesy. The others should be arriving soon, if they haven't already, Elliot demurred, glancing down the platform as they drew level to the open gates at its entrance. Not a chance in hell, Gavin thought, peeved at the thought of having to spend two weeks in the Australian outback, pandering to the whims of two old women as though it was a privilege to do so. And to cap it all, their niece had bagged the one deluxe cabin on the train, which meant he'd have to sleep on the top bunk in an ordinary first-class cabin after giving Elliot the mandatory cuddle goodnight. The gang stood waiting beside the platform. Gavin's jaundiced gaze travelled down the seemingly endless line of carriages, seeing nothing special about them. An aboriginal dot design, liberally called art, gave the train a bit of outback colour, but apart from that... A jolt ran through his entire body as his gaze flicked back and caught the woman standing some thirty metres down the platform. Impossible to mistake the black and white hair, like something out of the Adams family. What's that bloody bitch doing here? The word spilled out in a burst of angry shock. Who? Bianca Benini, the infamous B.B., Gavin grated, his jaw having clenched at the prospect of fielding her spite, or worse, while they were on the train. No chance she was simply seeing someone off. Her hand was resting possessively on the extended handle of a two-day suitcase, ready to pull it on board with her. Elliot grimaced at the same vision. Looks like she'll be travelling with us. Come on, we're having coffee. Gavin snatched the pulling strap of Elliot's bag out of his hand and headed off with both their suitcases in tow, forcing action. Gavin, I told you. Gavin threw him a fierce look. We're not standing pat for her to buzz down on us. We can wait for the others out of her sights. Elliot frowned and followed. You shouldn't let her get under your skin. She called me your toy boy. Not in print. And I did tell her you were my partner, not a... Don't say it. It's too fucking demeaning. Elliot grimaced. There's no need for that language. Not good enough for you? Stop it, Gavin. This is not the time nor the place for another one of these stupid arguments. The tired tone pulled him up. With that bloody bitch on the rampage at close quarters, he couldn't afford to alienate Elliot. Sorry, he winced an apologetic appeal. I just can't stand the woman. Her presence here does not come as a pleasant surprise for me either, came the dry reply, Elliot's cultured voice irking Gavin as it always did, reminding him that his partner was born to the establishment, the silver spoon in his mouth protecting his place in society, regardless of his homosexuality. Nevertheless, it also reminded him that if he wanted to inherit the silver spoon, he had to play the game and not step too far out of line. The contract Elliot had signed with him could be broken, and the will he'd made could be changed. Did B.B. have a sniff of his infidelities? Was she here to make mischief? Cut him out? How could she know about this party? 
he queried, content to halt now they were out of her view. She hasn't been circulating since she was slammed in public. Elliot shrugged. I don't imagine all her sources shut the door on her. Tattle is addictive. You can bet she's after a story that'll put her on top again, spiteful cow. All the more reason to play a gracious hand with her. Elliot shook his head in warning. Don't snub her on the train, as you say. A concessionary little smile. She is a spiteful cow. Gavin forced a laugh to smooth over the tension that still gripped him. I'll be sweet, don't worry. I just hope she chokes on my ladles of saccharin charm. Not a chance. Bianca Bernini is a tooth-and-claw survivor. He nodded towards the coffee shop. Go and get yourself a takeaway, if you like. I'll wait here with the bags. Of course, Elliot wouldn't be seen drinking from a styrofoam mug, but Gavin didn't give a damn for such niceties. My wallet zipped up in my overnighter. Can I borrow fifty bucks? Elliot didn't even question the amount, handing over the money as a matter of course. Their contract gave Gavin a hundred thousand dollars a year for the duration of Elliot's life, provided they stayed together, but that didn't stop him from milking every opportunity for whatever extra he could get. Thanks. Be back in a minute, he said, grabbing the banknote and time alone to get himself together. Maybe he was overreacting to Bibi's appearance on the scene. Maybe she hadn't heard a whisper of his promiscuous activities, and how could she possibly know about his taste for young flesh? But if she so much as hinted at such knowledge and put his deal with Elliot at risk, he'd wring her scrawny neck before she did him an irrevocable damage.'